Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Osiris. Guys, we're punctual as always. This is how we always are. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? It's like fish, we adhere to ticket time. <laughs> fish head um, arrive precisely when he means to. Um, I want to tell everybody hello, first of all. Um, but also, you? I'm good. But um, I had we have a guest, Stephen Grip, who's here. He has been on the podcast before. I tried to figure out when Stephen and I and I couldn't. So anyway, welcome back. Oh, hi. How is everybody doing today? Uh, <laughs> actually, to answer that question, I, it was I was talking to Brian about it. I think it was over ten years ago when you first started. Oh wow! Really? Wow! Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for coming back. Um, we're we're gonna talk to Stephen about this awesome project that he's been working on. And we're going to talk about the 31288 show at Nectar's, the original Game Hen show. But but first, we have we have some important business to take care of at the beginning. Um, well, the first thing is that uh, Megan has been awarded a People's Choice Award for the draft that we did yesterday. Not yesterday. People's last choice. week. This is what happens when you let the people decide anything. <laughs> oh, my God. Jonathan, don't be sour that you totally lost to me. It's like Megan, no, no, I feel pretty good about the way things worked out. So you can just enjoy your time. Megan won the polls. She won the public opinion. She won. She won everything on all the platforms across across America. She swept the awards, <laughs> and um, we're going to hear more about it in one second. But but also, congrats to Brian, who really should have won, given that he had the first pick and that he designed the draft and that the whole thing was his idea in the first place. Super. So impressive, the way that I just think down. that it goes goes to show, Brian, that you didn't you did not cheating. There was no collusion because. It's true. <laughs> Well, and I kind of figured at the end, like, this is all about content. Like, this isn't about winning and losing. Congrats, Meg. But, like, this is the content is the winner here. And nobody had traded. And so a trade is what Mm. will throw things into chaos and it will make people engage like, ooh, is he actually going to take the pick? Jonathan did a serviceable job. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm taking full blame here. But Jonathan did a (laughs) serviceable job accepting my trade. It was an absolutely ridiculous trade, I think, for both sides. But in the end, the content (laughs) won, and that's what matters. Okay. Actually, I think I won, but yeah, fair. Megan, I just think (laughs) let's let the words – let's just hear about Megan's victory in the words of our – of our esteemed listeners. I feel like that's probably oh boy. the best way to go about this. Hey, Jeff pod crew, Ben from the Pacific Northwest calling. I want to say great show and absolutely great last episode. Just want to tell you guys how much Megan crushed it. No if, ands or buts. She is the goat of that, <laughs> of that episode with the pick 97, 21, 2000 and whatever else she had was absolutely outstanding. Brian, rough trade. <laughs> you guys are doing well. Have a great show again. 
And see you next time. All right, we have three that are all in this vein, but slightly different. So I'm just going to keep going and then we can <laughs> discuss. Love the pod and just want to give a big shout out to Megan for winning the draft. <laughs> she is the ultimate bomb. <laughs> okay. All right. Last, last one. Wait, that is the most punctual voicemail we've ever received. I know. Really? I know. Yeah. When I saw that it was Jonathan, yeah, 11 seconds. Like that one. I thought you got cut off or something. Okay, here we go. One more. This is to to someone who I hope is watching right now. Or at least hey guys, this is Brian from the Attendance Bias Podcast. Big listener, big fan, obviously of HF Pod. About what I thought about the draft episodes, it very oddly made me realize that I'm turning into my father because when I was growing <laughs> up, when I was really little in the mid '80s, early '90s. I would watch Knicks games with my dad, and my dad would yell at Patrick Ewing, telling him what to do. And when I was like seven or eight, I would say to my dad, Dad, they, Patrick Ewing can't hear you. Stop yelling. And then when I was watching you guys draft the different years of fish, I started yelling at you. Take 1998. It's still on the board. Oh, come on. 1989 isn't that good. And I realized I had no one to yes, yell at is. me. And tell me that you couldn't hear me. So I'm turning into my father. Thanks a lot, HF Pod. <laughs> I, I think awesome. I'd, like to, I'd like to point out that in the chat here, that same person notes that he voted for Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, so, he was fair. one of your 10 votes. It's amazing. It's <laughs> just cold. It's like, oh cold. my God. I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. I'm going to stop, you know, just like relishing in this someday. But it's just an, a win that nobody saw coming, right? Even me. I didn't see this coming. Because well, 94 and 95 are better than 97. Um, so you like, everybody you like else the years it. that are pop cultural years, you know, like people, the, the mm. masses love them, you know. I'm basic. Uh, is that what you're saying? RJ, oh. <laughs> RJ likes the, the years that are very difficult to appreciate and rough around the right. edges. And let's be honest, that makes him a better <laughs> fish fan than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Megan, yeah, Megan won fair, fair and square. I also want to say, Brian, thank you for pushing us to do the episode. We're going to do yeah. more drafts. We're already talking about our next drafts. But um, if you have ideas, suggestions, send them to us. As always, leave us a voicemail. It's 484-416-0488. I just was reminded today of, has anyone ever read or listened to Child's Christmas in Wales, the poem by Dylan Thomas? Yes. Um, There's a line in it. There's a line in it where he says, I can never remember whether it snowed for six days and six nights when I was 12 or whether it snowed for 12 days and 12 nights when I was six. And this is how I feel right now. And I just want to tell you guys, I walk outside every time I walk outside. I'm like, is this real? I don't even know if my kids go to school anymore. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of like the reality that that I'm living in here. And I think people listening on the East Coast understand that. But um, hopefully the Pacific Northwest understand it, too. Yeah, that's true. It's all over. It's like a snow globe outside. It's kind of amazing. It's all over. I'll just relate with you that um, it was so cold last weekend that my my car battery on my three-year-old car froze and I had to go to the uh, car dealership to get a new car battery. And I then had to pick my son up on the other side of town uh, from a play date and bring him home. And as I was picking him up, we got a notification from the school that there was no school the next day. And the whole drive home, he was like, sweet, four-day weekend. My life is awesome. And in my head, I was like, my God, four-day weekend. My life sucks. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Which means so I'm true. turning into my father because, you know, he uh, yep. he felt that way as well. Yep. I pretty much told my kids that last night. I was like, if you have a snow day tomorrow, I'm going to be in a bad mood. Just so you guys know. But, <laughs> just get ready. We're just come to New York. You know, we never have snow days here because no matter yeah. what, somehow the streets are always clear here. So you can always get to work. It's very annoying as a things, teacher. Things can happen. Um, okay. We're going to get into the episode. There's two quick things I have to say. One is that there's a new band playing at Nectar's, which we're going to talk about Nectar's today. There's a new band playing at Nectar's March 1st and 2nd. They're called Reprise. Um, they are going to basically cover full fish shows from history. Um, so March 1st and March 2nd will be two different shows that this band, um, of amazing musicians are going to cover. If you go to live at nectars.com, you can get tickets if you're in the area or want to be in the area. Um, many people who listen to the show have, have seen at least some of these guys play together before. And, um, it's going to be really fun. And lastly, the fish studies conference, fishstudies.net. We actually, I haven't told any of you guys yet, but maybe we might be trying to help them out with it this year in some way, shape, or form. So we'll see what happens. Okay. All that 
to say welcome back, Stephen, to the show. Good to be here. It's, been, it's, um, it's good to see your beautiful faces. I seriously, I can't believe surreal. it's real. <laughs> I can't believe it's been ten years since it you've has, been on the show. I has. thought it was like yeah. you know, twenty nineteen or something. But yeah, I mean, um, we've we've chatted here and there, but like we, I haven't done any podcasting or any of that stuff since back in the day. Amazing. The, the Wally, the Walter Holland years. Yeah. Oh, oh man. Those are the years. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> Great years. I was around then. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Wax, Wax Banks, he's he's the man. Um, yes. Steven, we're going to talk about this 31288 show because it's mm. timely given the, the Game Henge um, New Year's Eve show. But first, you've been working on a project for a long time. And can you, first, you're going to show it to us, but also can you just tell us first what the project is, where the idea came from, and, and what you ended up doing? Yeah, so real quick, uh, 10 years ago, uh, I was an English teacher in uh, Austin, and I was teaching this book, Night, by Eli Wiesel. And um, at that time, Google came out with this service called Google Tours. And what you could do is you could put together different places and create a tour where people can follow along. So I created the tour of the book. So you could follow Ely's place all over around, you know, through you know, Europe and, and through the concentration camps, kind of engaging for the students. And I had a, a brain thing where it's like, that would be really cool to do with a fish tour, like just see where the fish performed. So I started doing it and then Google tours shut it down. So I'm like, oh, that stinks. So fast forward to about three years ago, they revamped Google Earth. They had all these different features and all these different things. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick it up again. So this has been a project I've been working on for about on and off for about three years, but it really picked up uh, because I got a new job because uh, I was working from home. So I had more time to like do, you know, put into the project. And uh, I, as I was finishing it up, uh, it was coming close to the 40 year anniversary. And uh, as I was putting it together, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let the boys know. Like, I think this would be really cool to see like every single fish show where they performed. And I even added links to clicking on the show review and you're able to hear the audio. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I put it together and uh, now I'm here to show you like what it is. And I really want to see like people use it and, you know, kind of use it in their own fashion, like see like the neighborhood they performed or go to their show that they went to and just kind of like interact with it. Awesome. That's I wild. love it. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm a really cool. huge, huge map guy. And so like, it's one thing to no have way. huge, <laughs> no one way. thing to have, <laughs> it's one thing to have the, you know, farmer's almanac, the fish companion, and like be able to go through uh, in chronological order fish.net where you can like search any show based on whatever filter you want to set, but to like actually look at the way a tour or a year was actually like constructed on this map it's fascinating yeah well believe it or not i did a lot of nerding out with this project uh like when i was putting it together um i i really made an effort to listen to all the nectar shows you know mm. mm -hmm. if you go into the archives you can see that there's not a lot of recordings when they're at nectars and they had a residency there so i really wanted to get a feel of like their existence down at like you know 1987 when they spent most of their time in nectars so i'd catch all their shows i'd, I'd listen to them and i'd hear like their their lab work you know their their pieces of fluff head or you know no dogs allowed and you hear all these elements of these songs being put together and they're performing them live and it was really cool that they just did it in this city and then you could also see uh, as we move on to different shows that they kind of got, got gigs outside of burlington and it was just so much fun just kind of nerding out to see how the, the cultivation of the band as they pursue their career. One of the coolest things for me was looking at the early 90s when they were just touring so much and just pulling up that and watching all of the dots just like proliferate on the screen and just seeing like how hard they were working. You know, it was like yeah. it's actual proof of how hard they're working and how many shows they were playing. It's wild. And yeah. I loved how you put like the visuals in there and the links to articles about it. It just, it's really, it's great. Super interactive. Like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, Google earth is pretty easy to use and it is an overwhelming project. And as we go into it, you'll see that I put in different, uh, I didn't put everything in one link. I, I mean, all 2000 plus shows, that would be too much. So I kind of put it together by theme. So you can like kind of mess around that particular era uh, and then just kind of jump around. But uh, it was, it was fun. Like talking about uh, what you're talking about. Um, I, my fiance is from Cleveland and 
<laughs> we sat and listened to a show that they did in 91 uh, in the dugout in Athens, Ohio, where she went. And there's a picture of them there. And they're like this tiny little bar and there's shiplap in the background. You can see Trey just like, uh, what am I doing this tiny bar? You know, but they're just pushing through. <laughs> it was just so much fun just to, and you're like fish played in Athens, Ohio. I'm like, yeah, back then they were doing their plan every day, you know, all across America. Yeah. It's really I, uh, cool. I liked looking at just that the era and seeing everything spread out and I, I didn't have enough time and I'm really looking forward to going back and looking at some of the old spots that I saw them at in, you know, 30 years ago or whatever now. So yeah, uh, that's, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, I will put out one disclaimer here that this work is my own. So there has been no like experts or like any fish fans that are, you know, helping me out. I did this all on my own. So if there's like, one particular show like back in the early 80s and especially and i'll call myself out like the festivals you know like pete's fabulous fish festival and 721 that you guys talked about there's no coordinates there's no record of any <laughs> where that place was so i'm like all right mm. so i kind of read some reviews and i try to see like where his house might be and i kind of did some uh 311s don't tell you know i kind of like called and see like hey did this person <laughs> yeah so it was a lot. It was it was a lot of fun just putting this together. And what I'm most excited about now is just seeing how where, where it goes from here. Like, are people going to use it? Are people going to, you know, say this is crazy? How you have everything in front of you? So it'll be exciting to see how active it, it is. That is wild. Um, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just going to say, you and I were talking before we went live about how you, you know, you listened to some of these shows while you were going through it and you were hearing kind of the buildup to some of the big shows and where sound was evolving and sound was developing. Um, we have a question here from friend of pod, uh, a fellow fish nerd, I say in uh, the most kind <laughs> and lovey way possible. Uh, Justin Bruce, cool project, any super wacky tour routings from 1.0 that jumped out at you? For example, fall 94's dip to Missouri from the upper Midwest before going out to Montana comes to mind. Was there anything for you that like, just as you looked at it on the map, you were like, why would they route this this way or how this is fascinating that it came out this way? Yes, that's a great question. So in 1990, they did two uh, cross-country tours. Uh, one was because they wanted to get back to Colorado. They had mm -hmm. success in Colorado. So 1990, they went back to Colorado. So there's one tour where they um, went to uh, through the Midwest, like through the north. So like Michigan, Wisconsin, they did some bars there. But my favorite one that really stuck out was the uh, kind of the fall of 1990, they went to the Southwest. So if I'm not mistaken, they did Tipitina's out there. They did uh, a really small bar in Houston that I could not find. It wasn't even on the map. Like it was, mm. the, the building was condemned and it was, I think it was called the Rhythm Room uh, in Houston. And I might be getting my Houston and Dallas bars mixed up, but what was so fascinating to me was how did they get these gigs? You know, like they're already planning right. their, their, their big shows and they're, they were doing theaters already in Colorado in 1990. So I'm like, they want to make some stops along the way. How did they get these gigs? How did they get a tiny little room in Houston, Texas that no one goes to? They must have performed to like 10 people, but they made the stop there because they knew they had to get their music down. They could not go without playing and they wanted to make sure that their music was tight. So that was probably the one that stuck out the most to me is just, okay, this is their first venture out of the East Coast. You know, they're going toward the, the West Coast because they were already touring with um, Widespread Panic uh, in early 1990. So like just venturing out to the West Coast uh, was to get to Colorado was that was the one that stuck out to me. Very cool. That's wild. Okay. Well, before we talk about the, the game hen show, maybe we can go to Nectar's at some point, but Steven, I'm going to add this uh, visual here. Can you just show us like, I don't know where we are here, but, and I'll, I'll try to narrate for the people listening um, after the fact, but show us, uh, show us how this works for the people watching. Okay. So there are links uh, and they're labeled these same things, fish 1983, and we can post the links on, on any page. They're already hyperlinked. So when you click on a link, I'm just going to click on the first one. So this is Fish 1983 Okay. So this pops up and you click on the slideshow and this is the start of Fish 1983-86. Uh, tour, um, you have 
uh, albums that they did during that time. I put podcasts that kind of talk about uh, that era. Uh, I have books that I've read that I thought would be very helpful to this this era, and then some other blogs and vlogs. And I've done other those throughout all the different ones I've added to to uh, to the, each era. So what you can do is you can uh, you go to the table of contents and you can jump down to any show here. Um, or what I always like to do is just choose a show. And, you know, you can go through the slideshow and just hop from show to show. So you're actually going on tour. So I'll just go to the first show they've ever done, which I believe is the Harris Mills Cafeteria. And there it is. That's where their first show took place. <laughs> That's um, so wild. Awesome. And, uh, so we see the cafeteria. Is that, is that wild? Listening. Yeah. So that's yeah. where their first show took place. <laughs> yeah. So that's their first show. And over here, uh, I have links. So you click on the date, and that is the review of the show. So you can read about it. And I'm just closing it out just for speed. And then you click on the uh, you click on the actual um, venue, and it brings up the audio if there is an audio, so you can listen to oh, it. Oh, that's Scarlet Fire, right? Yes, correct. And so wow. I also, if there's anything, and this is, you know, thanks to you guys, because you guys helped me with my journey. I put down any type of episode that talked about that particular show in the box here. So you can click on that. Oh, man. Oh, awesome. It takes, you, oh, it takes you to, you can listen to that show. So I kind of wanted to make it like super interactive for any fish fan. So if you just want to listen to it or read it, or if you're like, you really want to know more about it, you can listen to the podcast of that particular show. So one more thing before we can jump to wherever you want to jump. If you click on the next arrow, it jumps on to the next show. And the next show was uh, over here in their um, dormitory. Uh, and this was <laughs> right uh, before Trey was suspended. So then you go to the next show and it jumps over to 10384. And this is the first show that they actually performed uh, with Fish. So you can click on the review here. And this is... Um, uh, 1023 Grand or 69 Grand Street, where they actually like Mike and Trey started playing sh shows in front of people. Wow. And then let's say you want to jump to a show. Let's jump to their first show um, together as Fish, which is at Nectar's at 12184. I, I put a couple pictures here um, that you can look <laughs> at. So these are pictures from the show. And wow. actually, I found a poster of the show there um, to kind of oh reminisce. God. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, I haven't yeah. seen that poster before. And it's all it's every cool. single every single show from beginning to end is here. Yeah. Wow. Massive. Yep. Steven, that is is amazing. I want to show um, you one more cool thing since we're yeah, learning please. out. Real quick before please. we go to questions. I want <laughs> okay, so one cool thing. This is my favorite thing that I just like relished in. So, and this is the uh era that we're gonna work on anyways. Um, but uh this is 80. Uh, seven to ninety, um, and sometimes because the thing is so overwhelming, you just have to refresh. So I'm just gonna refresh real quick. But um, what I really, really loved about doing this was I went to find different YouTube clips of shows. I could not put all the clips of all the shows in in every single. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. Era. Yeah, that's a lot. A show that had at least show uh, is the five twenty eighty seven show at the ranch. Oh yeah. So the that cool thing about it is I found the actual ranch that they performed at. Oh my okay, god! Okay, so here's the ranch. And what you can do is I put the you, yeah, you can click on the the YouTube clip and there it is. Like you can actually like watch. I mean, we'll go past commercials, um, but uh, like you can watch the show at the freaking place like wow. look at it that's that's them we are there yeah. like watching the show <laughs> this is in the backyard right there like that is if i can't say this is the nerdiest thing i've ever done in my life <laughs> this is absolutely it because i just sat and watched the show. Yeah. yeah i don't have the volume on but i just sat and watched them play and i'm like this is where i'm at man this is right here this is where yeah. they this is like battlefields you know it's yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. All right. Amazing. That's that's enough for me. All right. No, that's super Wait, cool. Great. Steven. Wow. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Round of applause for you, man. This is yeah. like one Real. undertaking. Okay. I think everyone here on this Let call understands. All right. Now
how much you can nerd out on this band, but also how exhausting and time consuming that can be yeah. from time to time. And uh, you put in the work. <laughs> this is like seeing this go in to you know the UVM campus and go right up to the cafeteria and then shift down the way that you would in Google Earth. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's it was a lot of fun, and I think that once people start you know messing around with it, they're going to be like, man, this is a really crazy project because it, a lot of it was a labor of love, no doubt. But uh, it was so much fun doing it because you, got, I got to see like my favorite brand, my favorite band grow. You know, I got to see like yeah. the choices that they make and and the uh, the experiences that they had, and you get to listen to the shows, and it was just it was so much fun to do, and I'm glad I got to finish it at this time. How yeah. did you decide what you were going to listen to? I feel like it was this similar thing how we did 40 for 40, right? We went through the band's evolution and it was really hard every year to decide like what you're going to listen to. Was it just, you just kind of chose something based like, oh, I've never heard this before. Oh, I'm curious about this venue and I want to hear this show. Or was there any kind of system to what you listened to as you were going through it? I'm just curious about that. So, yeah. So um, there was a lot of live fish releases that I listened to. So when I started putting the live fish links on there, cause I wanted the soundboards on the, on the links. Yeah. So when I got to a live fish release, I would listen to it uh, and then kind of see how that sounded like where they were at. But uh, there was a couple that I haven't heard in a while. And there's a couple that I didn't hear at all. Um, like for example, I've all like my first show was 96, uh, 11 to 96. So I I've listened to 97 you know, backwards and forwards, you know? So I, anytime I would talk about the greatest year ever, it's 97. Uh, and then uh, Brian and I were talking about, you know, historically speaking, maybe 95 was the best, but I really paused for a while and listened to fall 94 shows. Yes. Uh, they, yes. I really was fascinated with how tight they were, how fast they were and how their improvisation was so, mechanical and maniacal like it was just maniacal like was a great word they yeah. they were like they were mind readers you know and they yeah. were just yeah. like i know and i'm not trying to kiss rj's butt because i know his favorite show is 12 94 like <laughs> that was i mean everything that happened in fall 94 led up to that show but it was just like it wasn't a bunch of you know clowns running around which was a lot of 93 like they were doing a lot of experimentation in 93 and that was a, another story too it was a lot of fun but it like for a while it was hard to listen to 93 shows on audio because it was just so they're just so experimental it's like you're seeing the cutting board you know you want to eat the sandwich you don't want to see the how it's made but <laughs> 94 94 was such a fantastic year because their improvisation they they were being able to communicate and they had the, the audience chiming in, you know, with crowds and stuff. And it was just unbelievable how tight they were. And I'm like, I can't believe the world is not listening to us. And eventually they did. Well, I think I, I think about that, too. When I saw your project, I looked at my first show because, like, you know, of course you would. Right. It was 11, 14, 94. And there's a Bowie in there that's just like you're saying. It's it's wild. It's crazy. You know, it's not 1229, but it is like. It is it is totally good one, crazy though. and exciting, and that was my first show. And there was this energy in Fall '94, and Jonathan knows it's why he picked it for for his draft. But that that year, just that that Fall '94 is just it's magic. It was yeah. the energy in the rooms that they were playing was off the charts. People were yeah. so excited. It felt yeah. brand new. You know, I think yeah. it, it was so exciting. Yeah. And one of the exciting things about going through this project is that you can connect it to how they're playing now. Like they are really, really like fast and tight now, you know, like they're really uh, performing, especially having such a library of music, you know, like they, know. like they can play whatever they want, you know, and to, for them to be that strong of a performance especially at this age but it just it reminded me of how they were sounding back in in there they were taking more chances but the chances were it was high risk high reward you know back then and it's happening now which is really exciting to see well I, i'm excited to use this you brought it up so i'm gonna say i'm excited to go back to providence where i haven't been since <laughs> 12 29 94 and yeah. find yes. the uh find the parking garages where i got lost before the show. <laughs> oh, that's a good story. Um, you told that on the pod. I love that story. And, um, <laughs> and just, yeah, try to see how different it is now. Yeah. 
So, yeah, Stephen, can I just ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Just because yeah. I want people to to know when when I when we share this, should I share the the like you know year by year links that you sent me so yeah. that people can? Okay, cool. What and, I'll do is I'll I'll email it again, and I I hyperlinked it so we could just have all of the uh, you know it's e- easy to click on and and whatnot. Cool. Um, cool. See how I mo- motioned with the click with the finger, so that yeah. way it's that easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean what. I think what's going to be great uh, this, with this experience is that um, there's different ways that you can interact through Google Earth. So like after I finished, what I would do is I would go from like I'd hover over city to city and see like all the different shows that happened, especially like yeah, city, yeah. if you go. I mean, this might be advanced, but if you go like toward the southwest, like in New Mexico and Arizona, they there are some hidden gems out there that are just absolutely fantastic shows that no one really talks about because as they know, you snooze, you lose. I really felt like developed out in, in the Southwest because they were just killing it out there. Four eight ninety two, Albuquerque, David Bowie, one of the uh, one of the big big highlights of that month. That yeah, it's one of those things you have to kind of like listen, track a tour to find that sort of stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's it, it was like talking about you know going through the Southwest, but overall, like I mean, we could just I could sit here and talk about this ad nauseum about every different experience I had through the adventure of, of tracking this. And it was just, I'm just glad we could share it and, you know, have everybody interact with it. Um, question here. Do you get it? Did you get any sense of how many venues are no more or ones that were small oh, yeah. and now? That, big so, yeah. What was that like? It was, um, so I would say over the 2000 shows, I would say I would probably about 10% uh of the buildings have been condemned so like a lot of the small clubs uh are now uh they have apartment complexes or um there's just an open field like the fort ram club i believe in 1990 when they went out to uh colorado the second time there's nothing out there i i searched for the fort ram club and what a lot of my research, what I would do is I would read the newspaper that was released during that time. You can get to the uh, articles and you can see like, all right, who's performing at the Fort Ram nightclub. And I try and find addresses. And then I was able to find the address and there's no more building there. So yeah, to answer that question, it's about, about 10% of the buildings are something else or uh, the building's no longer there. We had another question just before we jump to GameHenge from... Brian over at Attendance Bias, did you notice any surprising patterns developing as the band became more and more successful and the venues and cities get kind of called out into just, you know, the, the standard routes that they take? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the patterns that I saw develop were that jumped out to me were um, when, and we, we're probably going to talk more about this when we talk about this show uh, was after 31288 with um, well, John Paluska, when they met John Paluska. Mm. There's an article out there. I, I read it and I can't find it. But after they come back from Colorado, they start to perform in, in the Boston area. They have Fort Molly's, uh, a couple shows at Fort Molly's. They do a couple shows at Sheehan's. But from there, you could see the John Paluska influence that they start to get these random shows popping out in different areas and then just blowing the audience's minds away where you have this fall of 88, where they're doing all these little tiny shows in this region followed with their, their introductory following in Boston, that when you come now to 89, when they had the famous paradise show and you have this like, Oh, we're not going to get, they can't sell it here. And it sells out like, from the beginning of 89, you start to really see a development in more shows, especially in the Boston area, in the uh, Augusta, in Portland and, and Maine. Like they just, 89 is really, they're focusing on performing. They're not focusing on identity yet. They're really focusing on performances and just getting out there and getting gigs in that area. Hmm. So just really after that show is, is where you really start to see a cultivation of fish outside of the Vermont area. Such a cool moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, um, so we're, we'll obviously share all these links, um, Stephen, and congrats on getting this done. Um, Seriously. And for, for doing it. Really, yeah. really awesome. 
I think we, when we originally started talking, we were thinking, you know, we might as well talk about this, uh, this game hen show, given that, mm-hmm. you know, we just had game henge and we're also, we're going to go from Madison square garden back to nectars for this, for this three twelve <laughs> eighty eight. Um, what, um, what, where, where should we start? I mean, I guess we can, we can, I can just start by saying this is the first known live game, game henge with the narration between songs. Mm-hmm. Um, first and almost last version of jump monk and some more stuff happened, but, um, is there anything we need to know to set the stage, Stephen, in terms of this show? Like, ver- ver- just thinking about it in a, the number of shows they played in Nectars and where this falls, like, any, any thoughts on that based on what you did? Yes. So the cool thing about talking about this show is, one, yes, it is the Game Henge, uh, the first Game Henge ever performed. Uh, and then convincing the band that they were going to perform Game Henge, uh, because there, as you know, in history, like, there was a little bit of pushback on performing Game Henge songs. But Paige then relented and said, you know what? This is fish. This is what we do. Um, so not only is the game hedge performance important, but that night they went to a Frank Zappa show. And they, being a huge Zappa fan, I really feel, and this is just me nerding out, I really feel that based on their own historical record of saying when they go see shows, it influences their own music. I really feel that going to see that Zappa show, that really uh, cracked the eggshell mind of the performers and saying, look, pr- we've been playing for two years and we are a cover band. We are experimental, you know, performance based rock band. We do classic rock. We do all this stuff. I really feel that we can develop this sound into something very, very instrumental and very, very monumental. So after seeing that show, there's, uh, there's, it's the other sets are unrecorded, but I really feel like, they probably perform a, put on a performance that really transformed what Fish was going to be. Because after that show, if you look at those other shows, there's you start to see patterns in where songs are placed. You start to see where um, there's more development in their songs, more experimentation in their songs. I mean, they're not doing two, they're not doing Jam 2.0s yet, but they're really starting to um, uh, let go uh, of those particular. Like David Bowie starts. Uh, not David Bowie, uh, YM starts to have a little bit of more experimental jam to it. Uh, there's more of their music in there. So I just feel like this show is very important for their uh, fan base and for their own sound because as they, and I, I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I'll wrap this up. But as they perform that show, you see a couple, they already have a residency in Nectars. They already are performing at Hunts. They just start their regular performances at the front they start to realize, okay, we have something here. What are we going to do with it? And that's where they get the invitation to go to Colorado. So when they go to Colorado in 88 and they realize, all right, no one's out here to see us. Let's just start to develop our sound. So listening to Colorado 88 just had such a, a more magical moment for me because they're not just performing. They're starting to put together a, a repertoire that is going to last them for the remainder of their careers and start to build a foundation for how fish is going to be performing henceforth. And that's what made this show so magical for me is because I feel like that is what happened to them going on after the show. Yeah. I mean, it's this, it's one of those signposts where everything kind of begins to pivot. They are a cover band with some interesting originals Mm -hmm. and here Mm -hmm. they are. And you hear it really clearly in this set but they are fish and they are becoming the band and as you say this is the repertoire they're building that will lead them into the future like the next seven years to one of the next big signposts there's a couple other signposts on the Mm -hmm. way but you know of like 1231.95 you know they lay down that post again and they have another big pivot after that yeah Um, this is where they this is that path it's beginning right here yeah and uh, and you you hear in this set like to your point to both your points like trey keeps teasing fans that he's going to play aculus and that is a yeah yeah. (laughs) 90s to present day like treyism and like fishism of like you're never going to catch aculus then oh my god you finally got an aculus you know it's like things it's a song people chase forever and they don't play it in this set and yet the whole time (laughs) it's almost as though trey is messaging to 
you know, anyone complaining that Iculus wasn't played on New Year's Eve 2023, like, we're going to reference him, but we're not actually going to play the song. And right. It just, like, keeps holding that over everyone's head. Um, they're, they're, that combined with what you're talking about, the kind of coalescing of these are the songs that are going to carry us forward. These are the songs that are going to kind of sit by the side. And you almost look through this, you know, Tila has this bridge in this performance that is going to go away fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Um, McGrupp is a song that is semi-rare throughout their history. It's kind of a special shows up, you know, two to maybe three times a year. Forbin's Mockingbird is going to start to fall away. But like songs like Wilson, Lizards, Antelope, Possum, these are, you know, these songs that are going to be kind of like the bedrock of the band as they're going forward. And there are others around there, but like you start to see where game hinge kind of pushes and pulls on the past and like one idea of where fish could go, but mm-hmm. also some of the songs and they're going to break away and they're going to guide them as they go forward. Yeah. I mean, McGrubb yeah. is kind of a constant until 1990. I just want to like, that's a good point. Yeah. Amend yeah, that. He was played Correct. almost yeah. every night in like yeah. 88, 89, and then 90 yeah. is like played like six times or something. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. big drop off. One thing that was really interesting to me when I was looking at it is this year, 29 de- songs are going to debut. And if you look at the average for this show, it's 1988, right? This show is basically a set of new music. You know, there's mm-hmm. a f- three debuts, and then a handful of the songs have been played like two or three times. Some have been played like 10, 12 times, but this is really new music and it's really challenging music too. And this is a band that's been around for five years. You know, Paige's only been in the band for three years. This is the first year that they're going to become full-time musicians. They have their first paying gig outside of Vermont. This is a new band and they're playing so much of their own music, like you've all been saying. And I think it's such an accomplishment and it's so exciting that they start with this jazz tune this like a mingus tune that is just it kind of i don't know it's interesting that they chose to start the show with that because it kind of launches them into this i mean they played a lot of jazz back then and i'm just here to say make fish jazzy again please but because this is so beautiful and i love it so much and you know part of this song he's used part of the chord progression and stash but i love that this is the launching pad kind of pre-game henge and then they go into game henge it's just so great i wish we knew what the other sets from the show were But I loved listening to this and thinking about this band that, like you're saying, Brian talks to their audience and already has this relationship. You know, Trey at one point is like, you know, Steve, you know, the song about Iculus. Yeah. And he's like playing with them and they're already developing that rapport with the audience and having so much fun and how exciting it is for them that they're playing all this music that is super challenging. Also, it's challenging to play in a bar. Like I love during the narration, how you can hear the background music or like the other band that's playing. There's like music playing in in the background. And it's just, you realize they're not playing this to like a rapt audience that's being totally silent and, you know, adoring like Fish plays to now. They're playing this in like nectars, you know, where people are kind of moving around and milling around and to play music that's pretty challenging. And I'm sure Zappa was an influence on them in this kind of idea. But it's really a huge risk. I yeah. think they had another, I think they had someone playing at Metronome. They must have. Right? I think that's what we're hearing. Because I can hear it. Yeah, yeah, you can, can hear, hear it. It's yep. like quiet. It's, it probably wasn't, it wasn't like a DJ set, you know, but um, right. there was something going on. But yeah, I agree with you, Megan. I just want sh- to share this comment from Jeff Katz, who's watching, who's proposing a new way of, of thinking about <laughs> fish eras. He said, this is the real 1.0 and everything from 91 on is 2.0, which I guess make, <laughs> makes us in like maybe 9.7 or something. So that's fine. Oh my fine. God, if I'm going to um, lose my 1.0 status, that's really going to hurt. Trey always thinks about like 2.0 beginning much different time than we do. I think he thinks of it as being after uh, Big Cypress or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember his, his telling of it. But anyways, uh, it's all arbitrary. None of yeah. it matters. Except that uh, Brian is a 2.0 no- noob. Um, oh, gross. Forever proud. Uh, I just want to. I want to just tell you guys. I would go after listening to this. I wanted to go on Fishnet and and rank and rate it as a five out of five, but I can't because you're not allowed to rate. <laughs> no, right we now. lost. We lost that privilege. Yeah, <laughs> yeah still nice offline. One, a huge, huge controversy and a huge, <laughs> just just a big deal overall. Um, like, okay, when so are we getting those back? Like when are that? When have we been punished enough? Like we're not. <laughs> Fish.net remove voting first in 2024. 
who could be next, you know? Yeah. Could be right. Exactly. Did it. Yeah. Did it. Yeah. <laughs> Here he comes. Yeah. So Jump Monk, and I, I do agree, Megan, Jump Monk's the opener. I, it doesn't make sense why they don't play jazz. And like, I don't know if they don't want to or they're just messing with us, but it'd be really great if, if they did again. Well, and this one doesn't sound charted. It sounds like more of a jam in a really cool totally. way. Uh, this appears once more, 732 shows later. 424.94 in the middle of bathtub gin. Um, if you have not listened to that show, I plead with you to drop everything. The David Bowie from that show, Stephen here referenced Rob Mitchum, who writes the great uh, fish um, uh, fish essays, uh, Substack, which will probably be moving because fuck Substack. But he um, talks about this show and that that david bowie as he calls it the the shift the turn in fish history where they you know you talked Stephen, about all these like little moments that you learned about along the way like type two jamming comes in on that david bowie in a really big way but mm-hmm. back to nectars very very cool that they start I, I can't believe this is only one of two performances of jump monk yeah well let's talk about um to talk about nectars real quick so when they were performing this is you know 1986, they had two uh, places they played. They played at Hunt's and they played at uh, Finbar's. So they had Mm -hmm. a couple shows at Hunt's. And what happened was, and and this is just based on research, I could be just reading this from wrong, but they would perform upstairs uh, in uh, Nectar's in the early 80s. It wasn't until uh, 86 where uh, Nectar brought the music downstairs and they started performing downstairs so and i think they had two shows but they he took out the upstairs and just made it only downstairs i don't know the details of that but fish really started they were welcomed into nectars uh in november of 86 and then they had what what i i this is what i believe i think they created a residency for fish because if you look at the archives there's no recordings of what they performed sunday monday and tuesday for like you know, at least twice a week or twice a month uh, in all of 87. And if you read uh, of this show, uh, someone threw like a fish shirt on the stage at Frank Zappa and, and Frank Zappa held it up. So fish was very, very well known in the Burlington area in 87. And I feel like having this show and, and people talking about how the significance of it and the sound of it, I think that's why I'm enjoying talking about this show, but also the importance of Nectars, especially in 87, because they – just worked on all their music and nectars that whole year. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. Yeah, there's shows like 42987, I think. That's like preset monsters that really showcases what Mm -hmm. they were doing. I mean, it's crazy. Like you think about all like really great successful bands have their own version of Nectars where like you get the chance, like you talk about hearing other music during this show where you really have to prove yourself and you have to hold an audience on a night to night basis. And a lot of what we hear structurally that works within fish shows today is all captured back then. Yeah, agreed. 
So, um, what else? What did you guys think of the of the story, the narration? We have McGrupp into lizards into Tila, the the first known performance of Tila Wilson into ACDC and Colonel Forbins into Fly Famous Mockingbird, Sloth, Possum, Antelope. Um, what, what what were your thoughts going back to this now, especially after hearing the New Year's Eve version? Just brief thoughts from everybody. Jonathan, what you start? It's funny how well you think Trey ought to know this story, but at the same time, <laughs> he always seems like he's kind of making it up. Um, totally, and, uh, and and it's great. Uh, like I like the 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 details, though. You know about Aaron Wolf's son is killed by the ACDC bag, and that's what made him a revolutionary. And you know. It, it's all different. Like I've I said when we talked about the MSG show, I, I feel like they all exist in like a multiverse version of Game Hedge Extended Universe. Um, so they're all valid and all different and all fun. And this one is no exception. I just like the the young energy. I love the version of Tila and this. I like the old Tila a lot. Not that I dislike what Tila became, um, but I just I like the distinct difference. Um, and I want to say about Jump Jonathan. Monk. Can I just say real quick on Tila? I, what I wrote down was, I bet Trey thought at this moment this was a really good idea to add Paige to the band. <laughs> right, he was <laughs> like, I'm yeah, I think I'm glad I have Paige here. Totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. I just wanted to say about Jump Monk that Bad Hats continued to play Jump Monk uh, after mm. this, but uh, probably. Uh, the uh, woefully underdocumented uh, Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble probably played it too. But at least we have Stash. You love to say that, Ensemble. I do. It's true. <laughs> it's a good one. Brian, what are your thoughts going back? I'm really going to show my noob status here. Uh, you guys ready? Yeah, you, uh, you never heard of the image until this? Uh, come on. <laughs> um, well, actually, two things, because there there was one really funny realization. Um, the big takeaway was I, I really liked the new structure and the new narration. I felt like listening back to this, it kind of just like jumps you through it. And there's a lot of like, you knows. And, um, you know, you think about the narration in this compared to the one from Great Woods. And like there's narration tracks on the live fish are like three and four minutes where Trey is like going into really descriptive detail. And by that point, to Jonathan's point, he like knows what the story is. But the structure that they presented on New Year's Eve was slightly different and gave you a little bit more backstory. And it gave you kind of a different way into understanding uh, Mr. Palmer, understanding Wilson, understanding Tila. And it kind of peaks rather than with this great act of, you know, valor happening. And then Aaron Wolf steals the book and becomes evil. And that's like this repetitive cycle that doesn't happen in the new one. It, it all ends, you know, on a, on a happier note and it, and it, you know, they really overcome the challenges. And so I kind of thought about how much I liked the new, the new version, but the other love thing I didn't realize the love and light. Yeah. That's, that's so modern. So the volcano <laughs> kills them all. Yeah, right, right. right. And then it all just like goes back to yeah. um, and then we all become clear. Yeah. But one thing I didn't realize, and I think that this really negates all everything RJB has said about this song throughout his entire podcasting career, is at the end of the sloth, Trey says that Iculus is looking down at everyone and singing metaphorically. I did not realize, I'm fully admitting this, I did not realize that Possum is sung from the perspective of Iculus. I just thought it was this like metaphorical symbol of your end is in the road, things repeat, you know, the cycle repeats itself. The idea that that is actually Iculus singing it, how can you hate that song, RJ? He's well, muted. He's so he's so in shock over. Um, <laughs> I I think that I think that Trey made that up on the spot. Um, it seemed like it. I didn't. Remember but it seems very sure. convenient for you to say that as well as it seems convenient. <laughs> well, because Jeff because Jeff wrote it, so like you know, it was like, hey Jeff, could you do me a favor and write me a blues song from the perspective of Iculus? That's more like philosophical. So I don't really buy it. It's not but that it makes thought, it it makes it better though. It makes it better. It makes it, it a better song. Yes. It so I I just Trey has a I was strike one memory. for Jeff, and then you enjoy myself with strike two. And it's like I'm not <laughs> even waiting two. for strike three. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, what do you got? Yeah, I loved listening back to this. I think one thing that really stood out to me, especially right away in McGrupp, was just how 
already this band can play with silence in a way that they would become mm. so masterful at. But in McGrupp, they bring this bar down to like complete silence and play this really beautiful, stunning music. Again, Paige is just so beautiful. And when they come into the narration, what Paige is doing on the piano and I just feel like not many young bands can play with silence in that way. It's always like bigger, louder, faster, tighter, and to be softer, quieter, and more delicate just really stood out to me when I listened back to this version. Like this band that was so young can play so delicately. And it was just really exciting to hear that and to realize that that was with them so early on. I really loved listening to the story in kind of a, it's pure version, I guess, since this is the beginning and thinking about how much darker Trey's kind of worldview is. I think I hadn't really thought about that until you were saying that, Brian. And it's so interesting because now Trey is so love and light. It's so funny that he didn't want to end, end the story in a bad way in 2024, 2023. But here he's totally fine to do that. And even the sloth, like when I was listening to that, that was my one big issue with the MSG show too, was the sloth amazing like scene stealer for sure but he seemed kind of nice and like the sloth is supposed to be like that dirty creepy guy in the corner like the meanest guy in game henge like the slimy like hitting on young girls and like you know he's like the dirty guy he's like the bad guy and so like to see the sloth look kind of like sweet and funny and not be able to kill wilson i didn't really get that because the song is like about how awful he is but i loved listening back and hearing this version where the sloth is like just, you know, that like awful person and that awful creature. And yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to listen to a band also just like leaning into what everybody in the band does so well. I think especially Paige stood out, like you were saying, Brian, just hearing him, he sounds amazing here. Mike's vocals sound amazing. And I loved listening to Possum and Antelope at the end there and hearing that explosion after like such a tight kind of I wouldn't say tight, like the songs aren't played perfectly, but they're played softly and like with patience. And I think to have that like big possum and antelope at the end and just feel them like explode with joy, was really fun. And Trey sounds amazing, like flying all over his guitar. And I just kept thinking like this band has not that great of equipment and they deserve better. (laughs) (laughs) I think that what's notable to me about this is just the, the risk that they're taking, you know, they're there. There's totally. a couple moments in here where Trey almost like feels, I think, I think I can feel Trey feeling like he might like lose the audience at a couple points. Yeah. Like, there's one point where he's like this, no, no way. This is a really important part. And you're like, this, <laughs> yeah. this could really go guys, off the rails. Yeah. And it, it, you're right, Megan. He does. Wait, wait, they this do. next slide is really cool guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they do like, they keep the, they keep the energy. I think that the Mockingbird is is you know musically just so yes so great so mm. great and so there I think there's Incredible. some moments here where imagine just being there not not knowing that like knowing who they are but not knowing that much about them and maybe not knowing the story at all. It's like you know you hear that Mockingbird solo and then you'd be like okay this this is pretty cool but the rest of it you might be like I don't know what the fuck he's talking about what we'll just play some music but there there are moments <laughs> that really deliver. The second performance of Mockingbird ever. It's crazy. crazy. I mean, that's you, you speak about that. I've just noticed this is a Saturday night. This is a Saturday yeah. night no in way. the middle of the second no semester way. at the end of winter after a Frank Zappa show. And yeah. they were deciding to tell a story to their audience. I that think that's weird. why he went over. I think that's why he overdid it with the narration. Because if you listen to Zappa, Zappa loves to pontificate on stage. <laughs> mm, mm. He felt this, like he could. It's also like their second set. So they've. <laughs> played their like beer and lifestyle party music set. right vicious version of that kind of set the party <laughs> set uh yeah. and so now like okay they took 10 minutes 15 minutes and they've come back and whoever's left they're gonna get what they get and <laughs> you know we're gonna try to keep you interested we're gonna play some cool songs but i'm gonna tell you we're gonna do some things and maybe yeah, you were true. at the zappa show too and as to your point Stephen, maybe you understand what it's like to be spoken to as the right. music kind of shapes and happens right yeah. Well, also, Stephen, I think you can hear, I think his voice sounds, well, I think it did in this era generally, but his voice sounds sort of Zappa-like. Um, yeah. At points yeah, in this. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of hear that. Um, Stephen, what was your, what's your thought about the show? Well, I I kind of 
put the this show with the uh, the um, New Year's Eve show. Uh, and what really I felt was the most amazing part is how they did the costumes. Like, I don't know if you listened to the Undermine show about the origins of fish and talked about the bread and puppet uh, shows I did. and how fish like really wanted to create that childlike whimsy in their music because that's where fish comes from. I mean, if they really wanted to, they wouldn't, but if they really wanted to, they could have like hammied up these costumes. You know, you could have had like holograms of Colonel Forbin. You could have done all these technological advancements and yet they stuck to their origins and they really did it how you would do like a show out in Vermont with the bread and puppet show. So that yeah. really blew my mind how they really stuck to their origins. And, you know, the narration, yes, was important there. But I think they I think the train, the band, one of the music and the performance of the puppets to showcase what Game Henge is all about. Yeah, I think totally the um, change in the narrative is also a little bit. It's not just Trey's different perspective as an older person, but that I'm sure that's clearly a part of it but also it was a little bit of committee you know it was written and designed the whole event was designed by a group and so they yeah. they hashed out that script uh as a and little bit of a collective a and i oh they absolutely did yeah, yeah like I, I don't think you want as much talking on new year's eve you know you want the music to do the talking yeah right and they did a good job of kind of drawing some of that down showing it instead of telling it and then yeah. uh and relying on the audience to know the material right. which so if it were just a straight yeah, broadway show you know you can't you have to present the material but we know it or maybe we're in the wrong room i don't know yeah i mean you let the the, the <laughs> <laughs> you you let the uh jam out of acdc bag kind of tell the story of all the battles that are happening and the evil nature yes. of that how how dark it must have felt to be in game henge at that point in time and you see the multi-beast coming in and like it, it gives you it to your point it, it tells you what's going on within the overall music it's great um i wanted to just quickly before we uh wrap up this episode just we haven't actually mentioned the fact that fish um announced and put Announced a festival and put tickets on sale since we last <laughs> recorded. Wait. So we probably should say that. They announced Everybody it like knows, eight right? months ago or some ridiculous <laughs> well, amount of time, right? They yeah. are relying on us to promote their events, okay? I know. Need us. I'm sorry. I need to check my mailbox. I didn't get 16 are you going to Mondegrin emails this week. Did you guys? <laughs> yeah. Nope. No. I got texts too. It's only on the, it's right. only on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I got the t-shirt. Not even going to go. T-shirt so, <laughs> so Stephen, as we as we wrap up here, I just want to give you a chance to kind of like any anything else you want to say to the to the to the world as they kind of dig into this project, this really amazing project that you you put together. Yeah, I think uh, you know once you jump in, you know you're not. <laughs> it's gonna be really hard to get out because it is. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's just to see a band, the best thing about this, and I'm so lucky that I got to be a part of this band experience is that what I think makes fish so great is their story is, is what brought them from a regular house band in Burlington, Vermont to carry, to be one of the most influential jam bands in the 20th and 21st century. I mean, just for them to see all the chances that they took the tours that they did, you get to see, you know, how they went from bar to bar as nobodies and you get to see that they perform at uh you know big cypress you know in the middle of a swamp and an indian reservation and they bring in thousands and thousands i mean it's just really cool to check all this out and i really hope that people can go in there and like just go in the slideshow and just jump from show to show just to see the progression or you know just i just i want to see the involvement and see if it's worth it I think it's very much worth it. This is going to be a resource that I go back to uh, pretty regularly. Um, I hope that listeners out there check this out. We will be posting the links because it's it's amazing stuff. You, you cool. did great work. Awesome. I feel very proud of it. Yeah, man. Thank you. And thanks yeah, for awesome. doing this. Yeah, it's, it's so really, amazing. Yeah, really cool. Fun. Really cool. Um, we are going to, so I'm going to post the links to each of those, um, each of those like folders that you sent or each of the hyperlinks mm -hmm. and um, people will be able to, uh, to check that out. Um, guys, I think we're going to be back next week with one more um, audience pick. And it's someone who 
asked to be on the show long ago. And so we're going to, we gonna allow that a, to happen. Well, we, yes. Okay. You yell at us enough, right? Exactly. Sometimes. Or you do exactly. something amazing like what Steven did. Those yeah. are yeah. the two if options. You want to do a project like this that takes hey, three years. Took, you're on. Really took three years. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do think, I think if you do, if you do a project and it takes more than one year, you're, you're automatically in. <laughs> But if you do a project that takes like four months, like eh, whatever, Uh, anyone can do that. But, um, but seriously, Steven, this is amazing. And um, keep us posted like on how, how people are interacting with it and what kind of feedback you're getting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to hear if anybody reaches out to me with like, Hey, this is amazing. I really feel like people are going to reach out to me and be like, Hey, this one is wrong. Like, this is the fish fan. So like fix this right now. You know, I'm like, they'll find the problems. Yeah, Yeah, they will. Let me, let me, Evergreen content. We'll fix it. It's totally fine. Let me write None that of us email have ever experienced that. Don't yeah. worry. No, not at all. Uh, yeah. At least Civic <laughs> Center no longer that. exists. It's a right. hospital or something now. Yeah. So yeah. you can look for it, but it's right. not the same. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Stephen, thank you again for, for joining. And um, for everyone else watching and listening, thank you all. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. See you This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.